Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Anna Beck here with me from uh, Stockholm. Welcome to my podcast, Anna. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Anna is the CEO of the digital mail company Kivra, and she's an entrepreneur and innovation leader and has been leading a number of startups in China and Sweden, and most recently driving innovation and disruption as a design leader within McKinsey. So Anna, let's start with uh, Kivra. Who is Kivra for and what is it for? So Kivra is a communication and administration service. So imagine that your physical mailbox that you have in your apartment or outside your house is taken away and you get everything in a digital mailbox instead. It's very secure and you can pay your invoices from there. And today, 3.7 million Swedes, which is close to half of the grown-up population, has Kivra and about 25,000 companies and organizations send information, important letters, invoices, um, doctor appointments, salary specifications, and so on in Kira. Extremely easy and efficient, it sounds. Plus you're saving, uh, I mean, trees, natural resources. Yeah. yeah, that's actually where it came from originally. So there were a few different uh, sort of uh, ideas on, on founding the, the company, but one was uh, sustainability to take away this wind of en- envelopes that actually can't even be recycled due to plastic part of the envelope, but uh, that it felt stupid to, to take down trees make paper and transport them to people's homes when everything could be digitally much more efficient as well. And, and I think that's a core for everybody working at the company as well, the sustainability part. So, so you already have um, a business model that goes hand in hand with uh, doing good and um, driving a more sustainable future. But how can you amplify your influence even further? Yeah, so we try to inspire others to find business models that goes hand in hand with sustainability and, and doing good. It's also just to expand ourselves into new areas where we also can both help people in their daily administration, but at the same time do good environmentally. And large new business area that we just launched uh, last week uh, was digital receipts. So now a number of the large retailers start to, uh, instead of getting a printed receipt at the cashier, you will get it digitally in Kira instead. Um, so that's super exciting. And, and receipts are both papers, of course, smaller papers, but it's also have some chemicals in them. So it's um, not uh, possible to recycle either and are not that good for the, uh, for the environment and especially not good for the cashiers that touch them all the time. So uh, we're super excited and see what this takes us. And But your business model and services, they can be used and launched anywhere, right? I mean, you're Sweden, uh, what's next? Finland and, and, and the Nordics, right? Yeah, so we, are, uh, we just launched in Finland in February and uh, super exciting to see how, how that goes. Um, a bit challenging time right now to launch a new service, but uh, we, we already have some 15 large companies sending posts and, and a few thousand 
users um, and gradually growing. So I think it's all the challenge with the platform companies always that from the beginning there is no content, there is no senders and no users. And then how do you get that sort of hen and egg problem, how to over- overcome it? So we in Finland, we have actually made a joint venture with two large senders. So Telia, a large telecom operator and Resursbank. And they are co-owning the Kivra Oi, the Finnish company, together with us. And this is in order to sort of really get started much quicker. Because in Sweden it took, I think, four or five years before it really took off. And now we try to shorten that time substantially. Then looking into other markets, I think you know, Denmark and Norway have similar solutions in place, which have, um, um, so that's a bit difficult to move in. But then the rest of the world is pretty open. But I think it's also, it's not an easy business, I would say, because it it depends a lot on sort of the trust in digital solutions, the trust in having all your data in one place. uh, And also if you have like secure login methods and so on in place in that market. So we are constantly um, sort of evaluating and looking into what's happening in other markets, but we have not chosen to to go into another market yet. And and uh, similar solutions, uh, for example, in a huge market like the US, uh, does it exist? Uh, nothing similar that we have seen. So great opportunity, you could say. <laughs> Anna, if we dive into more of of, of you and and who you are and and what's actually guiding you in your choices in life and so on. Uh, but we start with the, with this question about passion, you know, uh, the, that thing that you're also willing to suffer for. What is it that is your passion? I think my passion is really to make a difference and it has to be a difference in, in a sort of positive way. So, so I have a deep interest in people and I love to disrupt markets and, and do things that substantially improve people's life or daily life. I think in that sense, Kira. And that's something that you felt all the way, or is it like the, everything that is happening around us that has brought this forward? I think in my like f- very first years when I, I worked, it was mostly make a difference and, and disrupt. So I was at the startup telco my first eight years of my career. And uh, uh, then we disrupted the telecom market. This was in the late 90s. And uh, the big... Um, incumbent PTTs had had like the whole market it was extremely expensive to to make phone calls and and people didn't have broadband or internet at home it was not any 3Gs or so on so I think the market looked very very different but sort of communication was not something for everybody in that sense and so I think that was like a huge disruption of the market happening between the late 90s up until mid 2000 something 2000 I, I was there up until 2005 i think yeah so so and then i think disruption and working with people i was cio cto so working with people and and sort of making that disruption happen what was what's driving me and then i think later on i got more and more into doing good as being an important component as well uh, i feel i have so much energy and i really need to, to put it on something that actually make a good difference and through these roles that you've been having, uh, because when you are, you know, disrupting things, changing things, entering new arenas, uh, new dynamics, you do have to have a certain level of courage, uh, right? Because you you kind of go places where people have not been, which is 
in a way also a definition of leadership. How do you deal with courage or do you, do you sometimes end up feeling fearful and but you dive in anyway or how do you relate to, to not knowing? I like to dive in anywhere. Anyway, I think it's important to sort of have a perspective what happens if we fail. And uh, I still remember once the when something failed technically at the telco where I was CTO, our CFO said to me, it's good it's not the nuclear power plant we, we are <laughs> operating. So it actually doesn't matter that much. And I think that felt like giving it some perspective it's sometimes you're so into everything in your own business that you think like failure is huge but often it's not that big even though it feels big for you and your so i think it's also a lot of of giving people around you courage to dare to try things and not being too afraid and then of course it's a lot of things around like putting people's data and stuff that you can't sort of um make mistakes around but i think to, to try to do new services and, and really transform markets you you just have to jump on it sometimes the worst thing is that you have to do something else <laughs> and i think that's fine as well so i really love to sort of collect different people of, of like different specialities and then together you can create magic what transformational points in your life have uh, actually influenced you the most when you look back at them one is that I feel very much as a global citizen. I'm born in Malaysia, uh, grew up in Sweden, decided to study Mandarin in school already in 1988 and went to China in 1990 and and studied at the Beijing University for Foreign Languages. And I think that opened up a lot of sort of how extremely different, especially China at that time, saw upon the world and what's in the Chinese newspaper and how people lived and, and, and viewed and like if you get Chinese friends and how they really look upon the world in a very different way than what we get from media here. And then uh, later on in the mid-90s, I went to Ecuador and studied Spanish for half a year. And then you saw the world from even another standpoint and also like the conflicts between some countries in South America and, and U.S., And maybe we have got more from the U.S. perspective in our schools and our history writing. So I think that has given me a quite good, I think, way of of not seeing everything from a European perspective, at least. <laughs> so that that's one big thing, I think. And then later on, I went to China and studied. No, sorry, I lived for six years and worked three years in Shanghai and three years in Beijing, which has been super interesting. Um, so that's one part that's been sort of a, sort of followed me through my life. Can I just ask you about uh, the, the the years in in Shanghai, for example? What was the like the best part? Things that you really not only learned but you felt like you are in the right spot right now. It's important that you were there at that time. So I think the whole um, optimism of of that you create your own future and extreme energy from people and. Optimism that every year will become better than the, the year before and that uh, your generation is has a way better life than your parents' generation and so on. So it's, uh, And that energy that came from there and the speed of things and the, the willingness to learn and understand and, and improve. And I could feel that even like people having a job that maybe I didn't want to have, like to being in the traffic toll uh, on the highway <laughs> were happy and, and you felt like oh maybe probably it's the first person in that family that 
got a monthly salary. I learned a lot from that and also on like how large many of Chinese organizations have uh, they have grown and found ways of uh, doing business and, and, and very, very fast. And it took so long time until Europe started to look towards Asia, what's happening there. I think it's always been US focus on like Jeff Bezos did this with Amazon and, and so on, Bill Gates and uh, <laughs> and so on. And we look at Apple and those like, but how often have like, let's say 10, 15 years ago, how much did we look at, at the Jack Ma from Alibaba or others and see what services and, and products do they create in China? And how could we get inspired from them? So I think that's some of the big learnings. And also how how slowly, like how, at least in Sweden, people feel that they are so digital and so in the forefront. And I remember when we got a mobile payment service in Sweden, which is called Swish, and everybody's like, oh, it's so advanced. And when I mentioned I live in China and say, oh, I, I guess you don't have anything like this. And at that time, you had you were already scanning the QR code in the taxi and sharing the payment with your friend in China, which still hasn't really come here. <laughs> so, so I felt it's it's like they were five years before, and and uh, also like a billion people just jumped onto new digital solutions. So quite interesting. And also to just reflect on where, as you say, where does this hunger and need to advance and move fast and so on, where does it come from? Is it, you know, that kind of survival mode or the transition, obviously, of from coming from from poorer life uh, quality levels and moving into the middle class kind of section? Yes. Or is there is there something else that is driving it mainly? I think uh, that's one part. And then also, I don't think, that people in China they don't think that the society will take care of them one day so they 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 know they need to to drive it themselves throughout their whole life and also that they need to cater for their parents and for their children but I think in at least in Sweden uh, you you put a lot of trust in that society and government will take care of both the young and the old and and if you become unemployed they will take care of you as well <laughs> so so then the uh, second point that I really felt that transformed uh, my way or influenced me the most on how I work today is, is um, when I was uh, CIO and CTO for Glocalnet for six years, I uh, felt I, I built the most customer-friendly tech department. <laughs> but then when I later on became COO and, and head in customer support, I realized that it wasn't like that, and it was a lot of things that the tech said it's not possible, or it's too uh, cumbersome to, to change or, or or make happen. While because and also the the people in customer support they didn't really question that. And then I realized that they like the power uh, of tech that it's like a black box that if you don't understand it, you just back off and not try to question it. And, and uh, I think that's extremely important on how to manage to get everybody's view when you work and, and also to strengthen people that uh, don't have the confidence. Uh, so I had trainings with a lot of people that, uh, with a coach called, and he has a program called Bold and Confident. And that's like really how different skills and experts and maybe introverts should dare to lean in and, and put forward their, their thoughts and, and so on. And I think that's an important thing to bring with you that these experts sometimes uh, take over totally and, and uh, 
even though they don't mean it, they become the powerhouse in the company. And then I had uh, two more uh, thoughts, uh, and, and one is the, the sort of des- design industry that I went into 10 years ago, and, and that part of connecting people's needs and technology and really work user-centric. I think it opens up so much thinking about new possibilities and to find these sort of uh, hurdles in people's lives and, and how you can overbring them and buy new services. And uh, the fourth one is uh, doing good. And, and I think it's, um, it's sort of slowly has come upon me that the part of doing good is uh, so important for me. I think it, it started when I was in Beijing in 2006. And I saw all these uh, fantastic women being home as housewives suddenly. And they didn't do like anything with, <laughs> with their time, just drinking coffee and shopping. Then I founded a charity organization and just engaged all these women in, in, uh, in, in using their skills to uh, raise money for hearing aid for uh, Chinese kids with hearing disabilities. And the strength and, and energy that came from that, how much people were, were willing to put in without getting anything else than feeling good <laughs> back uh, has has been with me since then that like it's the power that you can use and if you can find like a viable business model combining doing good with uh, with where people can use their uh, their best skills I think that's amazing. What about um, you know the long term formula for business? Is there like one long term solution that every company could adhere to or should adhere to and believe in in order to you know create the future we want? Yeah, that's a challenging question. But I think yeah, I think one part is to that you need to actually cater for a real need, and sometimes people can't even express uh, their real needs. So I think there's a lot of things to cater for that's not yet exist. The solutions not yet exist. But then I think um, long term it has to also have a sort of sustainable footprint on on uh, both nature and and people and that companies take their responsibilities and really try to create long-term financial stability and long-term sustainable solutions. What kind of KPIs um, should we introduce? I mean, we know the ones that we are measured on now, which is very you know, financial, financially driven, of course. Are there any other KPIs that should be in there? I think depending on your business, you can find uh, other KPIs. But I think it, it's really good if you find a few that uh, more uh, has a sustainable angle on them. So our main KPI is uh, saved trees and how many trees a year we save. And we also share that with all the senders. So they have it in their sustainability part of their uh, yearly general annual report. I think it really depends on, on, on what business you have, but also that uh, it's impressive when large corporations really try to transform them, themselves, like H&M and IKEA taking like a huge step for making their businesses more sustainable, even though their business model from the beginning is not, <laughs> not sustainable, so to say. We, we became, uh, Kira became climate positive during the autumn and we did the big revision and everything. But it, it's like for us, it wasn't a big job. It was, it was already the core of everything we do. You could see that when you went through, so we analyzed really everything and, and you could already see that from the food that's 
bought, which is always vegetarian, even though it's not the policy of that. But that's how people who, who buy food for, for the employees to do it, uh, to the which uh, computer uh, holes are uh, the whole service is set up to where, where they sort of recycle the cooling to heating in the neighboring uh, surrounding and yeah everything so so I felt like this uh, feeling that I'm joking sometimes that all my all the stuff is is, is uh, tree huggers that they really sort of are there because of the, the the saving tree thing but but it is a thing and that everybody has been thinking of it when they do different parts in, of their job. If we dream a little bit and say that you have all doors open and all resources available to you right now, what would you then rush to innovate or change? You know, whether it is in within your business sector or something totally different. I would uh, really try to, to solve some of the UN goals. Uh, and, and I've been in workshops where a lot of design leaders come together and innovate around them. And, but then we lack all the, the resources to actually make it happen. I think it would be so interesting if if you really went in for one, like a difficult one, like the number six, clean water and sanitation, and for real tried to solve it uh, and then show that it's actually possible. I think that would be amazing. Mm. Tick them off, all of them, right? <laughs> yeah, one by one. And I also need, sometimes it's not just that somebody has to take the lead and show that it is actually possible. If you could give one piece of advice to um, leaders, what would that be? And, and, and then when I'm saying leader, I, I intend, you know, people who have uh, a following for a good reason. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal CEO position or so. Any leader. I think to be bold and confident and really inspire people to dare to make change and make change for the better. But then I also think to constantly sort of listen in to what happens and uh, to young people and, and their opinions and advices. And I feel sometimes that when I started my, my career, the ways of working at that time were not that inclusive. Today, at least at Kira, we are very sort of working a lot with the design mythology to to involve to have workshops where we get a lot of input from uh, from users but also from all parts of the company and also working hard to get like um, people working in the support included in the company and in workshops and in product development and everything as everybody else uh, and uh, it could be legal or sales or uh, tech person and I think to that sort of get that constant input from a lot of different competences and also a lot of different age groups so I have employed people from 20 years old up until the oldest guy I just signed was his 67 so you get like that multifaceted input and I think leaders sometimes when people become a very big leader they sort of tend to lose just an attachment to to the larger group of people and get influences and really listen in. And I think that's very important to, to always keep that going and always be curious and uh, also dare to be wrong at some times and say that I'm, I'm actually wrong. And that also will give you a lot of more input from other people. Yeah, so true. And also I remember one uh, joint friend of ours, Roberto Verganti, said that um, when I interviewed him, he said one of the biggest assets for a leader is also to be able to say, I don't know, but I'm very, very curious to find out together with all of you. 
yeah, yeah. I, I fully, fully agree. That's uh, super important. If you were to give advice to yourself, let's say 10 or 15 years ago or so, what would that be? I think it's uh, a bit around this that we t- just talked about. Like earlier on, learn. I, I think it's also, you worked so differently. Like 15 years ago, it was like, if you see, I always worked in tech and product development and so on. It was very much a waterfall process at that time. Uh, while now it's more agile and more cross-functional teams and so on. But I think to, to learn that early on to how to facilitate large-scale workshops, like now I easily put a workshop together with the whole company. We are around uh, 800 people and users in the room and, and get like the energy and, and input from everyone. And I think that's so helpful and it's a, a great way of, of really getting interaction from everyone. Uh, so I, I, that I would have liked that I learned earlier. <laughs> and then also really find your passion and put yourself into working with things that if, if you have the possibility to do work with things that you really like, look into companies that are interesting and, and call them <laughs> instead of just sort of go on with something that you might not have that much passion for. If you're not proudly talking at a dinner with friends or, or new acquaintances uh, about your job, then probably you should switch. Uh, Anna, what do, you, what do you think is the number one most important thing for companies to to focus on uh, right now? I mean, if we if we park the the problems with the coronavirus, obviously, but otherwise, I think uh, collaboration is the absolute number one to really solve some global problems together and uh, share inspiration on on how you came up with solutions on let's say CO2 emissions or other things. And right now I think we see a lot of we see a lot of collaborations at least within each country. So I can see in, in Sweden, for example, it's been fantastic on like how lots of employees from the car industry now moved into healthcare industries, making ventilators, helping the hospital with purchasing an organization and, and building extra hospitals and so on. So but we can also see a lot of less collaboration in between countries and borders. And I think we've worked so hard for so many years to sort of open up the world to be more collaborative cross borders. And now we see uh, it moving in the opposite direction. And, and still the world is so global. So both from a sort of sustainability and, and social perspective, we really need to collaborate cross borders. And Anna, as a final question, uh, what do you think the world needs uh, most at this time? I think uh, cross-border collaboration and really supporting each other. And um, both in, in fighting pandemic, but also in, in, in um, fighting the, the sort of sustainability crisis and, and how we take care of our world. The, the, the world is... Uh, so global today and um, so we can't just uh, sort of uh, lock our borders and be inside our own country and, and, and solve all the problems at one spot. I think we really need to collaborate globally. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing everything and uh, for people to find out more they can of course head to kivra.com but um, we will also post uh, links and show notes on uh, corporateunplugged.com um, So just as a, out of curiosity, Anna, how was it to be on the podcast? It was great. It's great to have a conversation with you. There is a lot of things to reflect upon.
So remember to uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing it. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, live with purpose, and remember to unplug. Ciao, Anna. Ciao.